0: Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next half hour or so we're going to be talking about all things food and drink. But this is no ordinary food talk show today. I am joined as usual by my fellow presenter Ollie Lloyd, who is the founder of Great British Chefs. Hi Ollie. Hey Sue, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. We haven't got Holly today. We haven't. We haven't. Because we're homing in on your annual survey your annual amazing results that we have. Um, So I suppose in a way we've probably got a bit more of a serious programme because often we... Do have a bit of a giggle, and I do think the last four programs have been, <laughs> been a bit. I think we need to behave ourselves a bit more. You. Thinking, I, I, we'll, we'll look, we, the, key, the key is to start out with good intentions. So we yes. start this so program with good be, intentions. Yes, okay. good intentions. So um, uh, we're also joined uh, by Charlie Parker. Hi, Charlie. Hello. And um, uh, Charlie is a nutrition consultant. Nutritional nutrition
1: nutrition nutritionist,
0: nutritionist. definitely not nutritional <laughs> okay nutrition that's bad English probably um, Charlie before we um, before we explain what the program's about today can you just give us a little bit of background because you've you've worked in uh, nutrition in a number of interesting sort of um, positions, really, in in companies. So tell us what you've been doing. So I've worked in the food
1: industry for the last 18 years. I started my career working at Marks & Spencer, followed by Nestle, followed by Sainsbury's, where I was um, head of nutrition for nine years. Then I left there about three years ago and I've been um, consulting for um, food businesses, everything from really tiny startups all the way through to multinationals, Mm. helping them with... So, so, or,
0: so what what does a nutritionist inside let's say somebody like Sainsbury's actually do? Cuz it's 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 a it's a big position actually. But what is it that you would do for your day job? So you
1: help um, really one of the main roles um, is looking at reformulation. It's looking at how to make products healthier, um how to help develop new products, um, making sure they are as healthy as they can be, training colleagues, setting nutrition policy nutrition standards, so it's really
0: varied. So there might be a product, for example, where um, it's decided they're going to d- reduce the salt levels or, or something like that and that's you would then advise on how that might be done, is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. So you'll take the government salt targets, for example, and you will implement those across
0: the entire business, which is no mean feat. No. <laughs> um, and in terms of when you're at Marks & Spencer's, for example, again, was it the same type of role? Or Well, when different? I was at Marks & Spencer's I was
1: more in the marketing um, communication right. side and product development rather than
0: nutrition. So trying to explain to people, you know, exactly what is healthy and what isn't.
1: Yes, is really. absolutely.
0: Um, and one of the reasons why we've got you here to to have a look at all the uh, research that Great British Chefs um, is produced, and, and I, I think this is true to say, Ollie, is that a lot of people think they're eating healthily um, and possibly they're not, which is why we've got Charlie to tell us today. Be- because... A lot of the information you get is incredibly confusing and contradictory, actually.
2: Yeah, and I think what's interesting is that in terms of the nutritional debate and I suppose the conversations around different elements, what's good and bad, you know, change all the time. And I suppose what we're going to try and talk about today is what are consumers trying to do and what are their motivations? Hmm. Because obviously consumer motivation may or may not be nutritionally sound. <laughs>
0: Exactly. So um, every year you produce a huge survey and every year you and I sort of analyse what's going on. A couple of things that I'm really interested in is is trends. So, yeah. you know, what is different this year from last year? I see a lot of research that comes out and I think you do as well, Charlie, mm-hmm. don't you? And actually some of it, it just doesn't ring true to me. Yeah. Whereas this is incredibly robust, you know, this is a massive sample you know, and I do trust what Great British Chefs are coming up with, because it's, it's, it's huge. The, the data sets are massive.
2: I mean, I think we, we try and do two things to, to try and make sure that it it stands up. Is One is, you know, a sample size, you know, you need to speak to large groups in sure. order to be able to sub-segment down, because the truth is when you drop from 100% down to 5%, and then you want to look at that 5%, unless we are dealing with quite a robust number, yeah. the whole thing falls Yes, yeah, so if there's three people, it does, it's not it doesn't. It's not relevant. It? So So the bigger the sample size, the better. And I think the other thing that's really important is... And helpful to us is we've picked a topic, and we're refining our our kind of que- lines of questioning year on year on year, and so a lot of what we're going to talk about today is well, we found something out back in seventeen, and then we looked at it again in eighteen, and now we're looking at nineteen. And that's the bit I like. And yeah. that's what, but we're just we're still trying to get our heads around it. But we all do it from a very from a very specific point of view. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, so that's one thing. I, I, I'm very interested in the trends uh, to see you know how the great British public is buying, cooking, sourcing uh, stuff. And then the other thing is, I I do think there's a lot of myths out there in terms of, of what people are assuming and presuming when they're buying and eating food. And so I'm very interested to see again this year... Let's say that that you know the level of of people eating plant based food and you know all this sort of stuff. So you read loads of things, and on the, underneath that, I am thinking, well, is that really true? Mm-hmm. So I am going to be asking you loads of questions
2: Great. today. <laughs> but the one thing I would build on that as well is I think there's, there are assumptions about what people are doing, but also how brands are interpreting this data.
0: Hmm. And I
2: think one of the big challenges is that the you know if brands start from positions of, of misinformation. You go into all sorts of trouble. And I'm always astounded by how often in brand conversations people say, well, you know, I do this. And I have to say, I don't really care what an individual does. Mm. What I care about is what does your consumer do? And so what we're really talking about today is not my views, not your views. Oh, no, it's no. about what actually does the data tell us? Sure. And then how can we as you know, seasoned professionals theoretically actually interpret that? And react to it. Exactly.
0: So um, if you want to go onto the Great British Chef's website, you can download this for free. Absolutely, Um, and uh, this year it's called 2019, a year of change. Um, So, if we want to give a bit of context, um, Ollie, can you just explain how you do this research? And and as you say, you know, since 2017, we're now building up a lovely picture here.
2: So, 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 who are you interviewing, and how does this research work? So. In 2017, we started out with a simple question, which was how many foodies are there and how do you identify them? Mm. And that was the first piece of research we did. And in that piece of research, we threw in about 40 to 50 different statements that we got people to either strongly agree or strongly disagree with, usual five-point scale. And we found 10 statements that allowed us to quickly identify a foodie from a non-foodie. And what we then did was we created a segmentation based upon the 10 statements that essentially allowed us to group the foodies into two groups, right? One being committed foodies, one being weekend foodies. You know, hopefully the names are, you know, self-explanatory. But uh, the idea being that one group are, you know, through thick and thin, whatever they're doing, they are committed to the world of food. And the other group dial in and dial out. And then the other are just non-foodies. And these three groups exhibit you know very different behaviors clearly there's overlap between what committed foodies and weekend foodies do but and, and non-foodies are just people who uh, just aren't
0: particularly interested. it's just something they have to do to live and and they're not taking a massive amount of interest in it. It's just you know they are consumers of course they are but it, but it's not
2: something that gets them incredibly excited no and if you look at the statements that we use, you know it's about people who are talking about food, it's about people who are prepared to pay extra for food, it's about people who like discovering new things. Who or maybe like to build know their holidays things.
0: around it and stuff exactly. like that. Exactly, and it's, yeah. all,
2: it's all those kinds yep. of statements. And I think the point is is that what, what, when I, and I often have conversations with people and people say, oh, I'm not a foodie. And I say, okay, well let's look at these ten statements like, mm-hmm. oh I am a foodie. And actually the point is, is that lots of us might say you know, we're not right wing we're not left wing, we're not religious we're not, you know, we all have these labels. And the problem is we all interpret those labels. So lots of people say, I'm not foodie but actually are when you look at their behaviours and their attitudes and their values. So what we've tried to do here is dig into the values that define a foodie, and then use those values to identify a
0: foodie. So, so um, we're really drilling down into behaviours and labelling people based on what they do and not what they say, well, it's, mostly.
2: It's, it's what, well, it's what they say they do. Because yeah. obviously what we're not doing yeah. is we're not... We're, we're not we're, checking we're, them, not going around no, we're not, behind we're, them. We have shopping. not <laughs> been around 4,000 UK consumers' households. Yeah. We are looking at what their attitudes and values are. Yeah. But some of the values that you get, like, you know... I care where an ingredient comes from, I care about the story that sits behind it, tells you a lot about what you're going to end up with. And so, look, from this research, what we've identified is that there are 13 million foodies in the UK. So that's about 29% of the UK. So it's a big Mm. old chunk. And that splits, you know, more towards the committed foodie than the weekend foodie. And that's been pretty stable as a group over the last three years, been minor changes. Um, But broadly speaking, that is a, a pretty coherent Target audience.
0: So you, you've got four thousand interviews here. Uh, yep. four thousand responses here. So that's that's pretty robust. And, and just to remind everybody, seventy-one percent of people you would say are non-foodies, and and the rest split into different types of foodies. If you like, Correct. some are incredibly committed; it's really important to them, and some of them perhaps are inc- very very busy during the week. Actually, really value this at the weekend. It's it's yep. it's, it's, it's um, something that's important to yeah. them. Then, and so that's eighteen to seventy-four years. So we're just talking about yeah,
2: adults here, correct? Yeah, great. And I think the important. I mean, I suppose one of the you know obviously our business as Great British Chefs is based around the idea that we target and inspire foodies. But broadly speaking, this piece of research is not about Great British Chefs. This piece of research is about helping brands who are in the food space and retailers, anyone in the food space, understand this target audience. Because, you know, the top line summary to make it to to cut to the chase fundamentally is, you know, if you care about food, you spend time and money on food. And that basically means you are the target audience for anything. And whether you're looking at ingredient buying, you're looking at equipment buying, whatever it is, you know, food is is a a lens through which they look at the world. Mm.
0: And also in your research, you're saying that most committed foodies and weekend foodies from an age perspective, tend to be in the 25 to 34-year-old age bracket?
2: <clears throat> yeah, so there's definitely a skew younger amongst this audience. But I, I mean, I have a real problem with age-based marketing because in the end, actually, values-based marketing is much more interesting because, you know, age tells you only how old you are and how many years you've been on this planet. It doesn't tell you anything else. Right. And so obviously, you know, yes, it's true that, you know, there may be certain characteristics of someone who's old. I'm probably...
0: 25 in my head.
2: And so the way I you, act, and, and you're looking twenty five. No, not.
0: But it's true, isn't it? You can't, you can't necessarily no. pigeonhole into into those. And the other thing that always strikes me about your research is this is not contrary to popular opinion. This is not about wealth and and income and position, is it? So I, I don't actually like the breakdown of a, you a, know, ABC one, that. you know, B C one, C two. I don't really like that. But if you do break it down like that, this is not a in inverted commas, class thing, is it, at all?
2: No, I mean, it, it's, or it's a thing. slightly more affluent group than national. But, like, in the end, what is food about? It's about stuff that comes from the land, right? And it's about what you put in your mouth. And ultimately, you could argue that, you know the farmers that we had on the show the other week from from Rock and Roll podcast uh, actually (laughs) is more connected with the land than you and I are because, we know, we don't live in the countryside. So actually the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, rural communities need to invest more in food because they don't have all the restaurants that we have. They don't have pop-ups around the corner every time. So if you are based outside of London... You know, I actually think you've got, you've, got, you've, got, you've got to work harder to live a, a rich foodie life.
0: Mm, I agree. So there's so much in this report to go at that what we're going to do is do two programmes. We can't look at all of it, but I, I do advise people to download it. Can we just take some key points that I'm quite interested yeah. in? So, so we'll take some themes. Uh, we're hearing a lot about plant-based eating um, uh, at the moment. Um, and I think you have a statement, which is, I am trying to follow more of a plant-based diet nowadays. That's the statement, I think. And then you're asking people to, to, to respond to that. Um, before you sort of break that down uh, for us, Ollie, Charlie, um, is a plant-based diet just generally uh, as a sort of, let's say, um, I, I, I don't know, just using that and just saying, if I do that, I'm going to be eating more healthily. So it's, it's a sort of proxy for eating healthily. Is that, is that true to say? To some Jenna? extent, it's true. Um, if you are going the whole hog, and going
1: vegan. That's a
0: good joke that.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, You've got to be really well planned with your diet. It's not that easy to get all the nutrients you need from a vegan diet so a lot of thought and planning needs to go into it. If you are going down the sort of the flexitarian route where you may be having a little bit of meat um, during the week or at weekends but predominantly you are plant-based. Yeah, that is that is pretty healthy.
0: So so just as a, as a proxy if you're thinking all right during the week I'm going to be you know vegan or plant-based as much as I can actually without you looking at packets or whatever in general in general uh, that's that's a healthier thing to do.
1: Yeah, and I mean if if you look at a vegan and vegetarian diet generally um they're much higher in fiber, they're much lower in saturated fat. Um, as a population, they have lower blood pressure, lower cholesterol, lower rates of diabetes. Mm. So, yeah,
0: yes, it, it, it can be that. healthier. Yeah. So, um, so pull pull all this out for us, Ollie. Then, um, uh, the, the media would have us that there's loads more vegans than there used to be, and plant based is is really important. What what are people saying in your research?
2: So, as, as you said, Sue, there's this statement around you know trying to follow a, a more plant based diet. I think the point is you know, it's about trying. You know, and more of a plant. So, it's a, so this is the lightest of statements you could argue, but it is it's directional. I think the important point about this is what you're seeing here is intent to basically, cut kind it of simply, eat less meat and fish, right? It's more plant based, and what you find is that 31 percent of the UK agree with that statement, right? Now, that's a third of so the that's UK across the board. That's across the board. Wow. But when you then cut into it, you know, we would be we would be forced to believe that that's the under 25s, right? It's the under 25s are doing, and actually yeah, the under-25s do significantly over-index, you know, 45% of them agree. But when you hit the group that actually are defined by their foodiness, the committed foodies, it increases to 56%. And I think the point here for me is that what we're dealing with here is, you know, the whole plant-based revolution is not only about eating better it's you know it's there's 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 an economic part of it there's an environmental part of it there's a there's a culinary variety part of it and i think all that stuff comes together and when you look at a foodie they are just more aware of the debates and the issues going on so therefore because one of the big conversations is you know me and two veg probably not the future um actually or at least every day you know they are therefore embracing and leading that revolution. It's not being led just by the young. It's being led by the foodies more than it is by the young.
0: And, and I'm, I'm sort of stunned by it. Almost a third of the whole of the UK's adults are saying they're trying to eat more of a plant-based diet. I mean, in many ways, Charlie, that's a bit of a result, isn't it, in terms of yeah. public health?
1: Yeah, actually. I think it is. And, you know, the message is obviously getting through. I think the likes of Veganuary have actually you know, done a brilliant job in marketing and, and bringing it to the fore that we need to be eating more plant-based. And for sustainability reasons, in January there was the the Lancer Eat Report which talked about um, a plant-based diet
0: and that was a really robust study.
1: So I think people are seeing a lot more of it in the up.
0: media. And is there a split between men and women at all? Um, you know, because we always have this sort of joke that men are a bit more carnivorous than women. Is that true in, in your what? findings?
2: The, 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 if I if I return to my daughter three and son six, the answer would definitely be yes, but also the good news is the data backs that up. yeah, I think you know the fact is it does remain the case that women are still the majority shopper so the interesting thing here is about understanding on two lift different levels one is what are men trying to do, which is, to a less degree, <laughs> they are, are trying... Women allowing them yeah, to do? <laughs> yeah, so what's happening and what are they trying to do? So sure. This is the important thing about the statement, which is, you know, less men are trying to follow a more plant-based diet, more women are trying to follow plant-based diet. So, you know, 30, 35% of women are trying to follow a plant-based diet, whereas only 26% of men are trying to follow a plant-based diet. So, you know, you can see that disparity. But in the end... You know, I think what's interesting is is that this is a this is a this is a big movement. And I think the challenge for brands, the challenge for all of us is, I would argue that isn't easy. Mm. You know, and this is back to I think your point, which is, you know, as Charlie says, you know, actually getting the right levels of nutritional requirements is is, is a challenge, you know, one level. But I also think cooking vegetables is harder.
0: To get the right flavour and, you know, you have to be more
2: creative and you have to do more thought planning.
0: So what we should be taking from this, um, it's huge, actually, and and it's definitely moved quite considerably from last year and the year before, that if you're in food service, if you're, you know, if, if, I don't know, even if you're in schools or, or whatever and you're providing food you know, for the public, um then you need to you need to be aware of this. It, and it's not going away, is it, Ollie?
2: No, but no. I, I I would reinforce your point even more Amber. strongly in some ways, which is actually in the food services area and in the restaurant area, on the basis of what I just said about it's hard to cook a good vegetarian meal, actually we go out to eat things that we're less good at cooking ourselves, particularly yeah. much food. Yeah. So actually going to a restaurant, I think you're gonna see significant growth in the restaurant world of that requirement to have a much more balanced menu where there are genuinely exciting vegetarian yeah. and vegan options, which I think still is not the case. Because what we're
0: saying here is even if you're not a foodie, as you describe it, a third of the public is interested in eating more of a plant-based diet. And therefore, there's a huge opportunity to do exciting things that you know in food service.
2: Yeah. I mean, is 30% of menus catering to that group? No, Nowhere not. near it. No,
0: no, no. Okay, so that's an interesting point. Um, another thing that I'd like to go on to is, is then... Therefore, the impact on meat buying and, in particular, butchers. Now we know that the number of butchers has decreased in the UK. I think there were fifteen thousand in the UK in nineteen ninety. That's now declined to just over five thousand. That's a decimation of, of, of a category, if you like, on the high street or on your, in your local shopping area.
2: But and we'll come on to this in in the next program about the change of the retail environment. The reality is is that there's just much more competition. So I think one of the, the challenges for butchers is okay, what are you genuinely offering that Tesco, Sainsbury's, Aldi, Little are not offering? And I think a lot of the butchers that are probably closed were ones that weren't that differentiated. And you know, look, I, I know that you know you and I probably Sue in particular are meat snobs and probably don 't look as favorably but I, on the retailers but I have
0: the money to do that, yeah, you know there's been times in my life when i haven't been I, I might have had those principles, but I didn't have the money to follow yeah. that through, and lots of families are in that position absolutely
2: before. and but but I think that you know the butcher has to offer quality and price,
0: yeah,
2: and I think that is you know and that, I think what's interesting about where the butcher's you know opportunity lies is in actually the cheaper cuts of meat, the things that actually just you know foodies will engage with because it allows you to have really flavorsome meats at a much better price. And I think, you know, if you look at the latest, you know, you know, research that we've certainly got, you know, actually there is a decline, even amongst committed foodies, of going to butchers regularly. And that talks to the fact that people are just not going... That, that special occasion is not necessarily meat-based and as often.
0: So your research is, is saying that 18% of people this year are saying that they regularly go to a butcher, whereas committed foodies, it's 38%. Um, so that's not a lot, is it? When you consider that against double that number of people who are looking at plant based diet, there's a there's a stark
2: difference. There is, and I think you know, but it's regular, and I think that's yeah. the point. We're looking yeah, yeah. at regular here, and obviously, as you drop into the occasional category, you will get much more. You know, special yeah. occasion, the Christmases, yeah. the Easter's, the holiday periods, and stuff. But I think you know what is interesting is you know. Red meats have been taken an absolute bath in the first part of this year. And you know, mm. if you look at any of the Cantar data that's coming out at the moment, obviously tracking purchasing. Very different from what we're tracking, which is in the early part of the year they were saying, nah, not so much. Now they're really saying, you know, beef is down, you know, in the latest period by kind of over two percent. And that's it in the last three months. Yeah.
0: So in the last three months it's down two and a half percent. Yeah. Which is <laughs> which is enormous. Which well, is enormous. And would you would you not say, Charlie, <clears throat> that, that people are more inclined to buy Meats over the winter months, possibly. and yet it's still down. still the
1: impact of veganuary the Lancet report? You know, this heightened awareness of sustainability. Hmm. So, so maybe that is the reason why it's taken a hit. But it's interesting. But if it is year go, on year. If though. you go
2: back to some of the early kind of public health debates, like smoking, right? You know, it took a it took a really long time. To, to move from look it's bad for you, it's really bad for you, no, it's genuinely bad for you and then kind of the whole social follow on that kind of made it, you know, it's you know it's a it's a peculiarity now I'd say to smoke versus, you know, mm. when I was fifteen to twenty. Um and I think you know these things do take time. It feels like we've reached a stage of critical mass on this debate. We're clearly you know we do not live in a country of vegans, right but clearly people have embraced the plant-based diet more, and that's impacting butchers
0: mm. and And I think the opportunity for me for butchers is if you go into a supermarket, which I have to admit I don't buy meat in a supermarket anymore, but if you do, it's um you know chicken breast, chicken thighs, you know whatever a whole chicken may be, and then it's you know minced beef and cuts of meat that you might want to, I don't know, do something with, you know, like a steak or something like that. The opportunity for me for butchers is to get what I would call the Cinderella cuts in there because you, you, can't, get them in the, you mm. can't get them in the supermarkets. So m- might be more to do with liver or, or, you know, neck, which is great in casseroles if, you you know, you're doing lamb hot pot or something like that. Shin, which is great in casseroles, you know. And, and actually then... Doing that as an education piece for your local person coming in and saying, "This is what you do with this," and because that's that's what we're missing, isn't it? People don't, aside from the traditional normal things that you find in supermarkets, people don't know what to do with the other stuff like mm. kidneys or, or whatever.
2: I, I think that's completely true. I think there's a kind of, you know, but that's where butchers can really correct, uh, and a, actually an they do know what they're talking of about, course it, you know, yeah. uh, because in the end they are they are close to you know animals they understand how, yep. how to treat them and you know but i but i think it's a completely mind shift change which is to say can the butcher deliver an educational message because i mean it's interesting you know from a from a nutritional point of view different cuts can bring different things different you know you know certainly you mentioned liver you know mm. some of that kind of stuff actually is
0: and, and charlie is is, <laughs> is is the is the sort of nutritional thing of meat coming through because because some of that is important I'm not, not sure if it's been lost a little bit. Right. So,
1: you know, red meat is a vital source of iron, um, a, a really a bioavailable iron that you d- you don't get in veg, um, B12, which you don't get in, in veg. So um, that's really important. Zinc, etc. So, yeah, meat's a really important source of various nutrients
0: mm. so so you shouldn't be beating yourself off about eating meat no not what, at all
1: it, what it's you about should be doing is eating it in the right in the right amounts, amounts.
0: yeah and, and not eating it too often so so um that, that's sort of the butcher's world can we talk about actually what a vegan is because i'm reading a lot um uh, about strictly vegan so that is your lifestyle that is your everyday life that that we're having a massive increase in vegans uh, in the uk is that true at all
2: we, we, we're moving to strictly are we i like that um <laughs> strictly strictly yeah. let's talk about it's amazing i mean you know okay so, so what's the purest definition of, of of a vegan someone who avoids all meat all animal based products yeah but i think what has to remember is that's a very broad definition Right. I mean, as in, as in, and that that does incorporate a lot of categories that you. But got...
0: vegan for me, um, my understanding of vegan is that's uh, no dairy products, no honey, mm-hmm. no eggs, no meat, no fish. Yeah, yeah, R- right across every, everything. Yeah, yeah okay. and, and and you're dedicated to that, and that might yeah. go to the shoes that you wear and the clothes that you wear for, for other reasons, but essentially, it's cutting out anything.
1: Yeah, uh, and I think that steadfast vegan. Is actually a really small segment.
0: Is that true, Ollie? Yeah. What's your data showing?
2: And, and, and that, that's the point, which is you know when we did this research. So the reason we, we, we sort of blew up this research a bit because we did this in 2018 in the first part of the year, and we asked the question. And this is where you know this research is, is kind of fun. Is we started the question is, do you agree with the following statement? I am a vegan, right? And so what are we getting? We got so we got five so, so percent. So that was January 18. Five percent of you. So five percent said I am a vegan, right? Right. And we went, that's more than I thought.: Well that, that, that's why we went back and went, "No, no, that's incorrect. Yeah. Right? So when we then said, "I'm a strict vegan" versus "I'm a part-time, part-time vegan,", vegan yeah. versus "I eat vegan dishes," then you pull it all apart,? Right? So and you end up basically with, essentially, you know, less than half a percent of the UK. says they're strict vegan. Mm. Right? So that's 0.4 percent yeah. of the
0: adult population. Are strict vegans, yeah. and to be honest, that hasn't changed much at all, has it? Over the years, it's remained fairly static.
2: It's really hard. I mean, that's such a small number. You you're not going to pick up growth because you're talking about three, four you know, you're about two hundred and fifty thousand people. So out of sixty, seventy million, it, exactly. So if it moves from, it might double, and you actually would barely be able to pick up the percentage unless mm. you were kind of really okay. doing a massive study. But in the end, that that strict, strict, strict vegan, and the reason why this is important is, is that if you're a brand and you want to get involved with. The vegan opportunity—you're not talking to what I call the sort of the the militant vegan, mm. way, right? Which is completely understand. What's fine, it's a position people can yeah, hold. Yeah, we're not making a judgment here. No, there is there is no judgment. <clears throat> no. What's interesting is it's the part-time vegan that's the five percent. Mm.
0: So, if I'm a brand or if I'm a uh, you know um, a, a retailer uh, or I'm in food service, you absolutely need to understand this. You need to understand that strict vegans haven't changed, but, but you know, in, in terms of the numbers, but part-time vegans, and then the statement, while I'm not a vegan, but I often eat vegan dishes, is exploded. Exactly. Can, can you tell us and the data so, on that? So, 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 exactly. so you, you know, you've got to provide these dishes because people are looking for them. They're yeah. looking for them. So,
2: 24% of the UK, right, so forget food, research, 24%, so one in four say... While I'm not a vegan, I often eat vegan dishes. That's a
0: quarter of,
2: a quarter quarter of the UK. That's
0: stunning! It's and, but, the
1: fastest-growing lifestyle movement, veganism.
2: But you see, I, I push back on that statement mm. because I think that's that. that but that, no, but that's. I, I think it's. It, it's not a. That, this is a. This is a dish they're eating. It's not a lifestyle statement. I eat vegan dishes, but I'm not a vegan. I'm not. I would not in any way use same here. veganism to mm. associate with my. With me as who I am, I think what's interesting is the largest group who claim to be part-time vegans, right, is the you know the sub thirty-four. So that's the, that's the that's the core group of the, of the people mm. who are embracing the part-time vegan movement. But I think the biggest vegan opportunity is not about veganism as lifestyle; it's vegan dishes and and entering into the world of vegan, right? Mm, yeah. And, and and I think the complication there is they're not defining it strictly. Right, so things like honey that a strict vegan would say I'm avoiding, actually a part-time vegan might. Yeah, That's okay. Not, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, what I mean, so so you've got many more boundaries. And the reason we got to this was, and the reason we started digging into this, we suddenly saw the data, which was what percentage of of people who claimed said I am a vegan also ate meat, and we're like, well, either they don't know what a vegan is, or they're doing multiple things and i think that's what we're dealing here with yeah. yeah is that we're not one thing so
0: if, so if i can just um um just drill down on those numbers again um we'll, we're talking about the statement while i'm not a vegan i often eat vegan dishes <clears throat> so whether you agree with that statement and we're talking about over well over four thousand people done in this survey a quarter of the whole of the nation have, have agreed with that statement which is amazing 42 percent of committed foodies, so we're talking about uh, roughly sixteen percent of the population. That's seven. That's seven million people. Mm. Seven million people. N- you know, coming up to half of those people are saying, "I'm not a vegan, but I often eat vegan dishes." If you're not doing this in food service or as brands, you're missing a massive opportunity, aren't you?
2: Yeah, because I think you know, <coughs> to, to Charlie's point earlier, this isn't easy, right? You know, I mean, I, for anyone who's made, you know, try and make a chocolate mousse, right, vegan. I mean, you know, when you start whipping aquafaba for 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 nine minutes, which I've done, and it's kind of <laughs> hilarious. You know, I mean, that's the sort of thing that only a strict vegan would do, unless mm. you're just you know slightly bonkers like me. But you know, actually, it's hard to eat a really good vegan diet. You suddenly start lose when you lose dairy, and you lose, you know, milk, cream, butter. You know, you suddenly Jeez. you have to think. You have avocado, to, um, yeah. You have to unthink. Yeah, avocado <laughs> in, on
1: in your chocolate mousse.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, right. you can <laughs> yeah. absolutely. That it does help with thickening. It does help yeah. with. It. I mean, so it's really interesting. I think this is an opportunity for brands because, to be creative.
0: Yeah, and make things look amazingly. You know, I want to eat that. <clears throat> oh, great! It's vegan. I fancied doing a little bit of that this week.
2: And I, but and I also think it's the other way around as well. Which is, God, so that was a great dish. What was it? Oh, it was vegan. Oh it's wow. like When yeah. we when we get exactly. when we get to that stage, I think that we're then in a really interesting place. If the vegan movement wants to explode from a food services point of view, you need to eat dishes where you don't say, that tasted vegan. (laughs) Yeah, And and actually, you know, because a meat eater will almost use vegan as an insult. And so, you know, my wife made a dessert the other day. Uh, Actually, we both made it and we both screwed it up. And she said, you know, the problem for me with that dish, which is, was it tasted like a vegan dessert. And it (laughs) wasn't, you know, it was full of cream and stuff. And actually, you know, you do associate... You know desserts as things that are indulged. Mm. I think vegan desserts are really hard
0: mm. um I also think the media has has got to start watching out about what it's saying about vegans um actually, so you know, I think sometimes strict vegans get a little bit of a hammering or or you know people might laugh at them in 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 the media and social media particularly. Uh, you need to be careful out there, chaps, because actually a huge proportion of people are really interested in 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 a part time way. You know, following vegan diet and vegan is not now personally for me a term of abuse. It shouldn't be, should it? Try? No, absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. And if you want to really alienate a whole bunch of the um, of the nation and <laughs> and people who are interested in food, um, really sort of you know making a joke out of of a vegan or or plant based dishes is, is that's pretty old fashioned. Yeah, it's a little ignorant.
2: <laughs> is, as Mister Sitwell discovered,
0: yeah. as he did, as he. So so we're looking at plant-based, we're looking at the demise a a little bit of the local butcher. Um, What's that also doing in terms of vegan when it comes to dairy and gluten? Um,
2: Well, this is the bit we're only beginning to scratch the surface on, which is actually how one thing then sets in in train a a series of of reactions, right? Mm. Which is, as you start to do one thing, like let's say you embrace veganism, what does it then change about your diet? Or even you start to have vegan dishes you suddenly start to take notice of the amount of dairy you're including or the amount of eggs you're including. You start to notice things.
0: So right? let's say so you you want to follow a plant-based, slightly more vegan diet Monday to Thursday, mm-hmm. for, for example. What you're saying is that then people go, oh, well, that means I can't have dairy and that means... And, and so it's having a knock-on effect.
2: Yeah, and but it's also raising awareness mm. of some of those things. So suddenly you start to realise that maybe certain people do feel better when they're cutting dairy out of their diet, and they're like, "Oh, I am," and, and this is where it's the trick, the, the impact is being felt. So, what we started to look at was statements around, "I am trying to reduce the amount of gluten or wheat in my diet, and I'm trying to reduce the amount of dairy in my diet." And we put these big statements in because we want to understand how big were those percentages. And They're really, really, really quite big.
0: So 27% of people nationally, this isn't foodie people, this is nationally, are saying they're trying to reduce the amount of dairy products in their diet. Um, Charlie, what is a dairy product? I know that sounds a stupid question. So that
1: will be milk, cheese, butter.
0: Milk, cheese, butter. Um, and why is that being cream. seen? Oh, cream, cream of cream.
2: Course. Cheese.
0: <laughs> is that yogurt yep. as well? No, Yeah. Yes. You're good. You're good. Yeah, sorry. Okay. No, 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 no,
2: that's fresh. all right. Uh, fresh. Creme, creme fresh. fresh, I mean, you, know, you start to go, and actually, you know, if you think, if you're a cook, right, a home cook. Butter. You're like, well, hang on, you just lost butter, you just butter. lost milk, and you just lost cheese. Yeah.
0: Mm. And And if people are saying they're trying to reduce the amount of dairy products in their diet, are they doing that... As a healthier diet, in their opinion, Ollie.
2: So yeah. this is what's interesting: is when you when you look at the people who are trying to reduce dairy, the drivers of both that and gluten is driven not by uh, I'm going to call strong medical advice, as in Sue, so you shouldn't eat dairy based so on your I've body. So I've got a like, lactose issue, right, yeah, or, or or, yep. you know, um, it's actually like I'm trying to do it mainly for health related issues, which are right. I'm trying to lose a bit of weight. You know, I feel it's you know it's it, it's a more healthy diet, so it, it's basically weight and health related, or really flippantly, I fancied a bit of a change, hmm. right? So you've got this sort of idea that people are doing it because they think it's a good thing. You know, I, I'm you know it seems like I know, it's a, you know it's like the it's in the same way the vegan thing is. I'm trying to reduce the amount in this area, yeah. so it's quite super. I can call it superficial delivery. You know, it's not driven by a hard reason I, so I so
0: in know. your research then um people who are trying to cut down on dairy 28 percent are saying i avoid dairy as part of a healthier diet 26 percent say i avoid dairy products to lose weight is that are dairy products unhealthy i know that's a ridiculously simplistic question charlie
1: there are some dairy products that are higher in saturated fat and, and calories than others um but You know, eaten in the right quantities in in moderation are absolutely fine and vital um, vitamins and minerals um, from those. But
0: there's been quite a lot written about, you you know, um, fats uh, used to be demonised and now they're not. So so where do we stand on that then? Because I love butter. And cheese. There
1: has been a lot in the last few years on maybe saturated fat isn't actually as bad as we thought. Um, The government have a scientific advisory group, SACON, that advise them on the science. And they've produced last year a draft report on this that said actually we are where we, we were on saturated fats that we should be reducing um, the percentage of saturated fat we have in the diet. So I don't think the guidelines are, are going to change on that. Um, it has been made quite controversial by, um, interestingly, some cardiologists, some some very vocal cardiologists in the UK and, and the US um, who have tried to say, actually, it, it's absolutely fine. But I think at the bottom line, um, we should be limiting our saturated fat into... So, what are so the like anything,
0: be moderate, I
2: suppose is what you're saying.
1: Yeah, and not all saturated fat is equal.
2: But where's the saturated fat? So obviously, there is saturated fat in butter. Yeah. So am I not allowed to eat But it's also coming out from lots of other sources as well. Yeah, so, so, you, so. Ha-
1: you have saturated fat predominantly from animal sources. So you'll have um, saturated fat in, in, in butter, in cheese, in milk, etc. But you'll also have it in meat. And it looks like maybe the saturated fat from dairy... Is actually not as bad as the saturated fat from meat, oh, so it's dear. not all equal. It, it is so complicated, and it's you know when we make things overly simplistic, um, that's mm. where it it can.
0: The the other thing that worries me, and funny enough, I just been on a, a phone call just earlier to somebody who's from the um, uh, it's uh, oste. Porosis, um uh, specialist mm. uh, clinical specialist um i am slightly worried about people cutting milk out me of, too uh, me bio. too and, and actually, actually i'm really worried about that because she's having it, it could have well a i think time bomb effect one of my actually.
1: real concerns and i know this research didn't didn't cover a teenage market but female adolescents have the worst diets um in I, I that's the UK, but it'll it'll be the same um across all developed countries. Um they have particularly high requirements for calcium and iron, and um a lot of teenage girls decide to cut out dairy from their diet. A lot are going vegan, you know, because it's just an excuse to cut out more food groups and,
0: and mm. eat a restricted diet. And it's also easier socially to, to defend yourself,
1: but quite possibly with your, you know, somebody saying,
0: theory. "Oh, come on, you know, adults particularly saying, you 'You've got to eat this, got to that.' I'm a vegan, and actually, that sort of stops the conversation. It's just easier. And it's easier. It's easier, but it is. But but, but it's no, hard no, 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 when no, no, you're no, a teenager no, no. To,
2: to do so that just, sort of stuff. You just opened people... up a whole new front of of, of war at home. No, you're no, going to get no. that later. No, no, you no, wait.
0: Of you've got teenagers. You know. But it's interesting mm-hmm. because
2: I was actually with um, with my brother's daughter this morning, and you know, she was pouring you know oatly milk. And um, I made some joke about you know oats and cows, and she's like, well, you know, I mean, I was like, yeah, that's that's milk, you know, that comes from cows that they've eaten oats, and she's like, no, no, it's it's like milk that's flavored with oats. So she thought it was a dairy product. Now she's nine, but actually, what's really interesting is you know this whole milk, you know, the the category cues of all that stuff Mm. are milk they're healthy, they're about wellness. So, you know, there are, you know, this is where there are really, you know, interesting challenges from, from a governmental perspective, mm. which is, are they, you know, encouraging the right things? And, you know, the the cues of, of filks, I think, as they're called by the milk industry, mm. you know, fake milks, mm. um, actually are, are very much about milk and goodness. But, you know maybe there are bigger issues that need to be debated.
0: so again from
2: your perspective charlie from
0: nutrition it's okay avoid dairy but don't cut it out unless you've got a medical condition.
1: i i wouldn't say avoid it right, actually okay. um no and and just um just finishing on what i was going to say about teenage girls is yes. this osteoporosis time bomb so you build up your um the strength in your bones up to your early 20s it's called your peak bone mass. Um so that's when you're depositing all the calcium to make them strong. Um when you uh, after that point, basically the amount of calcium in your bones starts. So you decreasing sort of lay gradually. that down. You in, lay in it a way. down. Yeah. That is when you're making a strong bones. If you are not doing that in your teenage years because you're cutting out um dairy, your bones aren't as strong as they should be. And you go through menopause and we've got an osteoporosis problem. So I really mm. do think And then there's evidence. So, is... so
2: if they're looking at that younger audience, and looking at where they are at twenty, is the bone is the bone density lower than it was in? in...
1: I don't know that there's evidence to suggest that. Um, and obviously, we're the, the cohort the that we're at now. We don't know how that will how decades, that will end up. But I, I I do worry off. that we've yeah. got an osteoporosis okay. time
0: bomb. Uh, we need to finish this program in in a few minutes, but we are having a second uh, edition of this where we're going to look at some other data. Just to finish off, um, so people are you know uh, cutting out dairy a little bit but also gluten now there is a difference between cutting out gluten or avoiding gluten um and and also you know being celiac so i'm going to take out the celiac um thing um 30 percent of people say well just short of 30 percent of people say i want to avoid gluten and wheat to lose weight and 25 percent i avoid gluten or wheat as part of a healthier diet um I read some amazing statistics, Don't know if it's true, that half of all new products coming into America, you know, in terms of food products, are now gluten-free. Wow. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm. I mean, it's interesting, because if you look at the gluten stuff, the, the thing about statements and stuff, and this is where you need to do kind of detailed segmentations, mm. is, you know, we've been working actually with the guys at, at Dove's Farm who produce free, um, which essentially is a gluten-free product. They also do flour, so that's both sides of the equipment, to look at this whole debate. And what's interesting when you look at the gluten and wheat conversation is that while there's quite a large group, you know, that is actually actively kind of claiming to to avoid um, gluten. gluten. So, you know, you're at sort of, you know, 29% of people. When you dig into that 29%, it's about a quarter who are doing that for medicinal reasons. So actually flip it the other way. 75%, 75%. of people who are trying to cut down on gluten and wheat are doing it, a sort of self- lifestyle,
1: self-diagnosis. Self-diagnosis. Mm. Well, it, it, it,
2: it's lighter than that. So there's a section. There's about fourteen percent that's that's self-diagnosed and complete avoiders. But the rest of it is just is actually
0: lifestyle avoiders.
2: Lifestyle, mm. lifestyle avoiders. So mm. you know so, the health. Yeah. So your your point about diet, weight loss, etc. Sure.
0: So Charlie again can I ask you the same question mm. in terms of nutrition. Is is uh, sort of cutting down on your gluten and wheat? Is that is that a, is that a great idea? No, not really. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that.
1: You, By cutting out um, starchy carbs, which, you know, you will be doing to a, to a great extent, and um, there are obviously lots of different um, gluten-free gra- grains you can be substituting in the dart, but you're missing out on a lot of fibre and then all the associated nutrients that are in and brain. we're not we're not
0: talking about you know sliced white mother's pride bread here. We're talking about good artisan might be pasta or bread mm-hmm. or, or, or grains or having that for breakfast. You know, the, you know, sort of um, I don't know muesli or something like that. It's that, that you're talking yeah, about.
1: Yeah, and and as a nation, we don't get anywhere near the amount of fiber we should be getting. And why really? is that important in terms of health?
2: So, as, so Britain, so Britain actually Britain, under indexes on fiber.
1: Yeah, by about twelve grams. Why? A day. Why? Because... It's
0: got a bad press.
1: It's got a bad press. Yeah. Um, people tend doing? to go we... for the re- more refined right. bread. You know, so for bread, oh, white you know, white's still the most popular, although people would probably not admit that they do eat white over brown. We don't eat enough whole grains. So, And, and then we've got this lifestyle movement of um, people avoiding um, because they, you know, for whatever reason it, it might be. So,
0: so again, is your advice is, is if you don't have a medical condition, don't cut it out, reduce it. If, but reduce the horrible stuff, not the good stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, just <sighs> Look try at and increase fibre. Your, your fibre intake, your whole yeah. grains, um, because from a digestive health point of view, fibre is really important.
2: Mm. But it's interesting to, to flip in, into the flippant was the other day we had a lovely program where um, the, a lady joined us in the Scandi kitchen and, yes. and, and poor Holly got um, cream on <laughs> her nose and you pointed it out very generously. Um, and actually what was interesting about her her conversation about the Swedish or, or the Nordic diet was she talked about how they ate sweets on Friday. And it's very interesting, which is that, you know, I think we've, you know, almost the, you know, certainly the sort of the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s was a period where, Everything was available, and we could do whatever we liked, and it was like you know it was, that was it was a sort of sense of freedom, and actually, we lost seasons, we lost kind of the idea of of difference and times when you ate meat and times when you ate fish, and maybe that's our hope, you know, which is that what we've got to start to be and this i think is where the foodie revolution is Let's is go it's back about to what nature's providing at the right time, and just being more kind of conscious of of yeah. the choices we make, mm. and it you know you know we don't, you know, we shouldn't eat the same thing every day. You know, actually that's where foodies are. They want diversity. They want different flavours. They want different diets. And that's that's what, you know, gets you to a better place, isn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So final word from you. We're going to uh, be, you're going to be coming back next week, I'm afraid, <laughs> whether you like it or not. Um, so Charlie Pocker, uh, nutritionist, what's your final uh, take on the sort of the dairy and the wheat thing? The final piece of advice.
1: If you're going to go... Dairy free. Make sure that you are choosing options that are fortified with calcium, because of the importance of of building strong bones. If you're going to go wheat free, if this is a decision you you want to make, then you've got to look at including a large variety of um, gluten free g- grains in your diet, so that you are maximising the amount. So of could that be like get. seeds? Yeah, seeds, nuts and and the various grains that I was saying that are are gluten-free, just making sure that you're getting a big variety and and you're getting enough fibre.
0: Thank you very much. So, um, you've been listening to the Food Talk Show, and we're syndicated to radio stations across the UK and further afield, as well as being available on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes, and the podcast app on your phone. Thank you for that um, first tranche of data, Ollie. We're going to return next week and, and go through some more. It's fascinating, isn't it? Absolutely fascinating. I,
2: I, I just think it's so much more interesting when you you know when you understand a subject. You yeah. know, for those of us who are in the food industry. We need to understand what people yeah, we need, think about food. We need
0: the actual data and not not perception. Yeah of what people are thinking this is this is what they actually are doing and what they are
2: thinking rather than what you're thinking
0: yeah, yeah exactly.
2: which is of interest exactly. to maybe one other person
0: um, and you can download this from the Great British Chefs website
2: absolutely or free. get in touch and you know we've also got lots of data that we don't share publicly which we work with and which we share with our clients more Yeah. and so you know reach out and, and we always and
0: I really think that if you're going to put a lot of money into um, you know, product development you need to really understand this data
2: definitely excellent
0: so um, if you're if you know somebody who's doing something groundbreaking in the food sector, as usual, please get in touch with us via Twitter on at Food Talk Show. We'll provide a link to um, the research and we're looking forward to do a second programme on this next week. Um, If you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts go to foodtalk.co.uk and have a good week. Bye now.